2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. A lot of people don't believe the gospel can change your life. We have evidence it can. Death to Life shares testimonies of radical transformation, stories of people getting freed from and healed from sin, so you can hear, believe, and be transformed by Jesus. This is Death to Life. I know you hold me down. So it's, it was very much, you know, a feeling of being trapped and realizing this, this dichotomy that I felt inside of me. But this is where I was. And, and so suddenly, Jesus, once again, as where I was years ago, he became everything. It wasn't just something that you add to the picture, but he was the whole picture. And he was, he is the way and the reason that I'm free. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young. And before we get into today's episode, I'm going to give you three ways that you can support this podcast. Way number one is you can go ahead and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't rated us before, uh, what is you doing? Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Leave a comment. That would be super helpful. Another way you can help us is by giving this podcast to a friend. If you have a buddy who's has an addiction problem, send them Tyler's episode. If you have someone who um, struggles with anxiety, send them Alicia's episode. If Man, there's so many episodes. You guys know what to do. Send it to a friend. And then... The last way that I'll recommend today is you can donate and help us to keep producing these podcasts. You can go to lovereality.org and hit the donate and and donate for the Death to Life podcast because the reason we're able to do this is because of people like you. So let's get this gospel going. Let's keep spreading it so people can hear the truth of who they are in Christ and be transformed. Today's episode is with Laura Pobletti, I uh, actually went to school with her, and we never spoke. And that wouldn't be strange if we went to like the University of Nebraska, but we went to Union College and it was like 900 students. 
Either way, we never spoke, but we spoke uh, on this thing, and hearing her story is incredible. I think you're going to love it. Also, want to make sure you know at the end of the episode, of today's episode, uh, there's a new mix of Christian song, and I've got people asking me, yo, I need that song, cuz. Where can I find it? And right now, this is the only place you can find it, and there's a new guest verse on it, and I love it. So, uh, listen to that whole thing at the end. Listen to this episode. And so the next person you'll hear is Laura Laura Pobletti. Hear ye her. Buckle up. Strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. I know you hold me down. Yeah. Hold me down. Please God is pouring down. I, I did feel like I got a... A pretty good picture of a loving God from, you know, my my early years in life. And I'm really grateful to, to that that background um, and my parents and my family and everyone that was part of that. So whatever, whatever distress and confusion that I may have, um, I may discuss later in life, I just, you know, I feel the need to communicate that that was just due to my own brain's way of processing living in this world, not due to any, any lack on the part of my parents or those who were in my life and loved me. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. I was saying the other day, I could have, my, like my twin sister could have been raised by a pack of wolves. My parents were great parents, <laughs> but she could have been raised by a pack of wolves and I still think she'd be a radiologist. Yeah. Uh, me on the other hand, I don't know. Um, I think sometimes we, I think I've said this before, like our parents, like overcoming how we were raised is a big part of life. But I don't even think the enemy needs that. Right. I think he just comes in with lies from, from the beginning. He'll come from any angle because even... Even though, you know, I can say my upbringing was beautiful, never saw fighting in my home, never saw anger in my home, never felt unloved or unwanted. And yet, where does that leave me? If I'm not perfect, then something might be wrong with me because I I don't belong in this family that's so perfect. So, you know, even if Hmm. things are perfect, he still finds ways to get to us. Uh, It's going to be there. But anyway, um, so just to kind of give a picture of my um, my ideas of God at, at the young age, I kind of wanted to start with a dream that I had. So I dream a lot. Um, and I think I was about seven, and I dreamed that I was... On this, I described it like a paint palette, like it was just this big oval white um, sphere or something that we were a um, bunch of people and Jesus was there and we were all floating up towards heaven. And, you know, it was really exciting. You know, I was like, this, you know, it's finally happening because, you know, he grew up hearing about going to heaven and there were like everyone was standing on our own little color splotch. And Mm -hmm. suddenly I started noticing that people were just randomly dropping out and, you know, their little Mm -hmm. color splotch would just fall through and they would just drop. Mm 
And so, you know, so this little sense of trepidation starts because you don't know, like, okay, I'm going up to heaven. That all seems good, but people are falling out. Am I going to be one of the ones that falls out? And mm-hmm. I, the dream basically ended there. There was no, it was like this cliffhanger for me. There was no conclusion. I just knew that I was feeling happy that I was, hadn't fallen out yet, but I didn't know what the end result was going to be. So I, I don't feel like it traumatized me necessarily, but I think it does help paint a picture of sort of the confusion or the lack of clarity about my place with God and, and what the end result of my life was going to look like in a spiritual sense. I think it's fair to say, I don't know, I think I grew up learning that we have to be getting ready. Mm-hmm. There's this idea mm-hmm. that you have to be getting ready. And yes. are you going to be ready? And this parable of the the lamps, I don't know. It wasn't preached in a way like, it was just like, what are you going to do? Like, mm-hmm. and what does getting ready look like? Well, Mm -hmm. it seemed to me like that the people that were preaching it, what getting ready looked like was getting your behavior together. It was doing these sorts of things. It was really a religious type mindset, like this is what getting ready. And I remember a loved one of mine was saying the other day, maybe it was a couple years ago, but just um, they need to get, they're talking about someone, they need to get right with God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had just started walking into freedom. I was like, that's so whack to tell somebody that they have to get right with God. Because it's actually Jesus has made you right with himself through Jesus. Yes. But yeah, that, that sentiment was like, from, I feel from like cradle roll. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, you know, I, I grew up in the Seventh Adventist Church. There's a lot of focus on prophecy and and what's going to happen in the end times. And as a child, it's hard to hear that no matter how much assurance it's meant to be preached with. It's hard to hear that without fear and without just wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to stick it out through, you know, all of this and, and make the right choices and do the right thing? And so there is a lot of focus on rules and, um, you know, just keep into it, keep into the right path. So uh, um, I, I feel like even in my early years, there were a lot of dichotomies that started forming for me in terms of both ideas about myself and ideas about religion and God. And so they looked like, um, you know, these questions of, okay, I know we're, we're saved because we have a Savior that loves us. That's wonderful that God loves us so much. But I don't know if I feel bad enough about who I am for it to warrant what happened to Jesus on the cross. Like, am I really bad enough that I deserve to be lost and that he deserved that much torture for me? Do I feel bad enough for that to make sense? And so there's like, there's some pride and self-righteousness in there. But then on the other hand, it would swing to the side of, 
you know, I'm not doing enough. I'm, I'm never going to like add up. I'm way too selfish. And so then there's a sense of not being enough. And so it was always swinging between these two sides. Um, other dichotomies of things such as, like, I feel really privileged to have grown up in a, a beautiful Christian home. We have the truth. Like, I, I just absolutely <laughs> believe that everything that I was being taught, why wouldn't I believe it? You know, sure. I saw it in the Bible. It's, it's what everyone around me was telling me. It made sense. I was all on board. And, uh, you know, along with that, though, came a sense of almost burden and guilt and responsibility that I need to make sure the whole world knows this or else I'm, I'm failing. Because if I've been given this, you know, how can I not be sharing it with others? So just always that strain of not doing enough. Um, That makes me think of this idea, and sorry to cut you off, like this idea. (laughs) um, The problem all along has been sin. That is what separated us from God. It wasn't our behavior our behavior is the result of the thing that separated us from God. And so when you think about like heaven, there will not be one unrighteous person in heaven, not one single unrighteous person, everyone in heaven Mm -hmm. will be righteous. And you're thinking, well, how, how is that going to happen? Because the problem was sin in you. And that problem started before you, you were born into it you were born into sin. And so God's not mad at your behavior because of your sin. What he's doing is sending Jesus to get rid of the root problem, to take you from death to life because he loves you. You're his lost daughter or lost son. Like he's like, no, because before you were lost, you were found you before the foundation of the world, you were his. And so he's like, Oh, this thing happened. I'm going to send my son to restore what was lost. But we have always thought about it was like, well, because I lied or because I hit my sister. Yeah. Or yeah. and then it gets worse as we get older. Oh, yeah. Um, then then we get into some problems. But yeah, we don't I'm understand s- the whole thing. I'm so thankful that I see that now. But it just even if the right words were spoken, um, you know, we all have to come to it in our own way, in our own time. And it was always that confusion for me that. Absolutely. The sin is what we call sin is more the symptom of an underlying reality that Jesus came to free us from. So it kind of shifts everything when you start seeing it that way. And, you know, I think the other big thing of how I approach religion and God was it was it was all good. It was a very beautiful thing to hope for. And so why wouldn't I want to be on board? Because someday I'm going to end up in heaven and and why wouldn't I want that? But it was very much a future hope. It was entirely what's going to happen after I die. I never really got a sense of a true intimate connection in a way that it made any transformational change in how I felt about myself or who I saw myself as. There's just a lot of, you know, in general, good childhood. I liked my church, loved my precious moments Bible, had fun in Pathfinders. And for those who 
didn't grow up in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Fat Founders is basically like a gender girls scouts, boys scouts. Super awesome, lots of fun, like so many great things. But there were these underlying confusions and things that were just there, just present, even if I didn't put words to them. So um, just to paint a little picture of like how that would play out for me. Um, starting, I think I was about eight years old, second grade. And so there are, um, I don't know, I guess kids just do this. Or maybe it was just Helen Hyatt. I'm not sure. But Shout out to Helen Hyatt. Yeah. So playground, there's a group of kids. They pull me and another boy and they just say, okay, you guys are going to kiss now. I don't know why. This was not a boy I liked at all. <laughs> and there was no prior build up or explanation as to why. It was just, I guess, fun for everybody. Entertainment for recess. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to do this thing at all. I had no interest. I was, and plus I felt that it was absolutely wrong and deeply sinful. But peer pressure and the awkwardness of the moment, and I just didn't know how to not go through with it. So we had this tiny little kiss on the playground. (laughs) And I was just absolutely buried in guilt and shame and fear of, of what this meant about me. And it sat with me for a really long time. So much so that I even told my mom eventually. I don't remember how much later it was. And I don't really remember what she said. I remember that she was very accepting of it, made it feel like not a very big deal. Um, So that should have been the end of it for me, but it wasn't. And even for, I don't know, months or a couple of years after, I would do these, I would ask for these little signs you know, I, I pray to God and I'd say something like, okay, if I walk into the next room where I have a glass of ice water sitting and there's only two ice cubes left instead of three, that will be my proof that I'm forgiven. And I would just go through <laughs> so sad. inside of my mind. I would go throughout my life looking for these little signs. And I was asked over and over to make sure that I was forgiven. And I, clearly never felt forgiven. And so uh, that's just a picture of my understanding of my relationship with God. Like, I love Jesus. He's, he's your best friend. You can tell him anything. But there was some confusion there, too, clearly. Uh, I got baptized when I was 10 years old. And it was a really beautiful experience. Uh, my grandpa baptized me. My mom sewed me a brand new white dress. So it was like this very special occasion. But I know I definitely saw it as a promise that I was making to follow him and mm. to, to publicly stay on track and follow the right way. And so that was a big part of my identity at that point was staying on track, not going off course, doing the right thing, being the good girl, following all the rules. Um, I just wanted to be nice and, and be liked, you know? And, and so I guess I was the goody goody, you know, um, sound like a real sweet, sweet young lady. Mm-hmm. All right. I wanted to be, um, 
So let's see the, so the other part of besides just following all the rules, doing all the right things, which I really did stick to for a very long time, um, was the sense of needing to be really seen as something special, something beautiful, something captivating. And of course this mostly revolved around boys. I needed the boys to see me and to like me. So I had friends. I always had friends and had, you know, had the good family, but I always felt like something was missing because I wasn't getting that attention that I thought I needed from the boys. And I don't know why I needed it so much. It's just, it is the way it is. But even as early as first grade, you know, started having my first crushes and I was not necessarily the most popular girl. So you know how in grade school, everyone goes through their little cycles of, okay, we're dating now. Okay. Two weeks later, now we're dating somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so I was basically just waiting my turn for the popular boy that I liked to, you know, finally make his way around to me. And finally it came like fifth grade. So I finally have this little like couple weeks or months worth of we're boyfriend and girlfriend now and whatever all that looks like in fifth grade a a bunch of silly stuff and we think that we're all grown up this was basically worse than breaking up with someone over a text message so one day in school i'm sitting there at my desk and i get a handwritten note not from him from one of his buddies that wrote the note on behalf of him dropped off by another different buddy at my desk. So he was very far removed from this. And it just basically said, you know, we're not going to be going out anymore. You two can still be friends. Great. Thanks for that. Really excited about that. So I'm already feeling not great. And then I find out all this fifth grade drama that apparently the reason I got that note is because he had already started dating one of my other classmates. So, you know, just devastating and crushing and any sense of like, oh, I'm kind of cool now. People like me just completely wiped out and gone. So I pretty much not be overly pathetic and sad, but I pretty much went through the rest of my grade school and high school experience feeling that truth about myself, Mm. feeling that there was just nothing very captivating about me to hold someone's interest um and really no no actual romance again until college so i think because of that you know we all have different ways that are our confusions about god and our sense of being separate from god and that what we call the God-shaped hole inside all of us. We all have different ways that that shows up for us. And for me, it started showing up in that craving that I had to be seen, to be desired, to be seen as captivating. And it manifested for me as sort of this, I developed this very obsessive tendency of infatuations with well, it started with Michael Jackson. He was the very first. <laughs> it's like the man grade. in the mirror. Yeah. Oh, that was my favorite song. 
I mean, it's an incredible song. It is. It's great. I mean, there was much good about him that he put out into the world. And I can't explain why I was so obsessed. Like, it wasn't even a romantic thing. It was just infatuated with everything about him and his music. He was plastered all over my walls, you know, the whole thing. And so this tendency in me to really just, like, latch on to a person. Sometimes it was, a, you know, an actor on TV. and. Sometimes it would be someone in real life, you know, a, a crush that I would develop. But you know how people have like imaginary friends when they're mm -hmm. little. So I basically would create for myself imaginary boyfriends. And way past the age where it should have been accepted, you know, considered acceptable. And it wasn't just like, I don't know what you would assume that the daydreams would look like, like some cheesy walk on the beach or something like I'm a writer and I would create dramatic, very intricate, interesting stories in my head, almost like I was writing a scene for a movie script or, you know, following the track of a TV show. And I was just writing the next scene for the characters. So very involved, very busy. And I was just in my head like all the time, living this life, living some sort of daydream or fantasy. And it was the way, it was my coping mechanism. You know, it was the way that I had a distraction and could actually feel a sense of, <laughs> what's that dopamine rush, you know, that we're mm -hmm. all looking for in whatever different ways. And because I could create such a good story in my head, I could almost believe that I was living it. Yeah. And it just became like an addiction for me. Never going to tell anybody about it because I'm already so embarrassed and ashamed of, hmm. you know, <laughs> who I am inside. But on the outside, everything is great. You know, I'm, I'm getting good grades, doing the straight A's, have good friendships. Um, so it was this sort of dichotomy that was created in me that I felt like, a lot of the time that I was pretending on the outside to try to just look normal. Hmm. And on the inside, like, I am not normal. Nobody spends this much time living their life inside their head. Um, also, probably as far as, like, the identity formation I should bring up in eighth grade, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, which is a uh, curvature of the spine. So basically my spine is pretty bad. It's like an S shape. And they were worried that if it progressed, that I was going to need to have surgery to fuse my spine together so that I wouldn't be basically deformed for life. So the solution was to wear this horrendous contraption called a Milwaukee back brace. And it's like a plastic girdle that goes all the way around your waist and then one metal bar going up the front two metal bars up the back and then it ends in these um two two metal like loops that you can see up by the neck so it goes under the clothes but it's obvious that you've got something going on and you're stiff and you're awkward thank goodness for 90s grunge because there was a little bit of wiggle room there. I didn't have to be wearing the midriffs and all of that. 
But still, it was it was quite uncool, quite uncomfortable. I had to wear it 22 hours a day for eighth and ninth grade. I think by 10th grade, it was only at nighttime. But um, did it work? You know, it did. It did. I didn't have and I was faithful with it. You know, stay on track, do the right thing. Right. I, I didn't mess around. So I was able to avoid surgery. I don't think I look crooked in life and I don't have back pain. So Good. yay. But um, so I pretty much, I started freshman year, ninth grade college view Academy with this back brace. And I had just sprained my ankle a couple of weeks before school started. So I literally walked in the first day of school on crutches with the back brace and you can just imagine the uncool factor going on for me. So I pretty much went into high school feeling not, not cool, not very, um, you know, just nothing, nothing very beautiful or interesting about me. However, I will have to say I had some amazing friendships and I think they're probably the reason that I didn't just totally spiral into, you know, self-pity during this period. And they, you know, they were just the right balance of, you know, a bit of teasing to just make it a little more lighthearted, put some humor into it, but mm-hmm. total acceptance. And so in that sense, I did belong. Um, and I'm really thankful for them. Um. So moving into high school, it's just more of the same. You know, I I would pretty much caught up in my own world, uh, you know, fixations. And (laughs) on the outside, doing all the stuff, you know, going on the trips, having fun, was really big into gymnastics and going to church and enjoying that. And it's all positive. But I just, like, have this quiet angst going on inside of me. And, you know, it turns into sort of this this teenage unrequited love kind of drama always going on inside my heart, you know. Um, and it never even occurred to me that I could actually try to pursue somebody that I was interested in. Like, it wasn't even an option in my head. Not even so much that there was like a fear of rejection. It was more that it was just assumed rejection. And therefore, why would I go, you know, destroy my pride and ruin any chance of, you know, like friendship that I might have with that person? So it was just never even an option in my mind. And I was waiting and hoping that someone would just somehow magically like pursue me instead. Right. Well, this is kind of just the pathetic place that I'm living in that regard. Um, I go back and I look at my diaries and my prayer journals from those ages. And it's just a lot of help me to be less shy. Help me to be less selfish. Help me to be nicer. Help me to be less, less depressed. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And that was pretty much where my relationship stood with God at that mm. point. Um, it did even get a little bit 
darker um, in my mid high school years, probably just this, you know, it's hormones and it's being a teenager is hard, no matter what for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just all this angst and feeling, even in my friendships, there was some struggle because some of them started getting interested in, you know, experimenting a little bit, some drinking, some different things. And I couldn't, cause I had to, you know, keep the course. I had to follow and be perfect. And so then there was a disconnect and a little bit of loneliness and, you know, so a lot of time spent in my bedroom, writing poetry, feeling lonely, feeling sorry for myself. What were you listening and, to? What was the music of choice? Oh, um, I think I was probably still listening to Michael Jackson at that point. Uh, I never really gave up on him. But Mariah Carey, Sarah McLaughlin, Jewel? I'm not sure. Maybe she came in to play more in college. Pretty much the Lilith um, Fair lineup. Little, yeah. There was a little bit of Green Day in there at one point. <laughs> this was a little bit off course for me, but... For some reason I love Green Day. Did you? Uh, I I didn't hear for a second. Did you say Alanis Morissette? Oh, I didn't say her, but yeah, like yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's others. I just can't think of the names right now. But I was much more on the easy listening side of. But you know, to me, this was just the popular music. Mm -hmm. But to my parents, to my family, the devil. because I was interested in anything other than, you know, the. Sandy Patty band orchestra choir from the church. I, I perceived that they saw me as rebellious and were confused as to why I was, you know, interested in all these things. So there was this um, tension that developed with my parents for sure. I was compared to my brother who love him and respect him so much. He's a man of God and integrity and he was that way even as a teenager. And, you know, from my perception, he never did anything that would give my parents any preparation for the fact that teenagers sometimes explore and do weird stuff. Hmm. So it left me, um, they were just dumbfounded by me. Why do I want to spend my time in my room writing poetry? Why do I want to listen to this music? Why do I want to go to a concert that is not the kind of concert that they would probably want me going to. Um, and it did, it got kind of, so I had this sense of like, I know that I want to go to heaven. Life is kind of overwhelming right now and heavy and not the greatest. And I don't have a lot of like vision and hope for what my future is going to be. Like the only real thing that I'm, <sighs> longing for is to have some grand true epic love story in my life honestly like doesn't feel very feminist to say that but that was where i was at and that's that's what i was longing for and i didn't see that in the cards i didn't see it coming so just a lot of dreariness and i actually i wrote a poem i okay i'll back up and I never, I never considered harming myself. Um, but there was a lot of just the thought about escape in some way and the mm -hmm. sense of 
everything's going to be better when we go to heaven. Why not just start that now? Like, why couldn't we just do that now? It'll be so much easier. Hmm. And I didn't imagine that that sense of freedom could ever come like in day-to-day human life. It just didn't even occur to me. So I wrote a poem. It was titled Goodbye World. And it was basically from the perspective of someone who was considering this kind of escape. And even though in my mind at the time, I was just exploring the idea from a creative perspective, at least that's Mm -hmm. what I told myself. um, There was some underlying, you know, thought process there, I think. And I guess I must have left this poem out on my bed and my parents found it. And as you can imagine, they were just absolutely terrified, as they rightly should have been. I mean, any any parent's going to take something like that seriously, no matter how much I begged and pleaded and said, like, I don't feel this way. This is not a danger. It ended up in um, I needed to go to counseling. And from that came, well, there might be a chemical imbalance. You need to go on medication. And this, this whole way through, I was just fighting it completely because, mm-hmm. well, I already feel like there's something wrong with me. And now you're going to take me to a counselor and put me on medication and confirm that there's something wrong with me. So that's the way I perceived it. Of course, I know there's value in place and maybe. You know, maybe it would have actually helped me if I had stuck with it. I, I know that there are people that benefit from all those things. And so I'm yeah. not in any way putting down the value of it. But this sure. is just how it hit me and how it struck me. And I I could not stand to think that I there was something wrong enough with me that I needed outside intervention of that nature. So there was a lot of conflict with, with my parents at that point just for me to try to convince them um, that I didn't need any of that. And in the end, they actually respected my wishes and, you know, would stop, stop seeing the therapist. I don't remember if I even actually took the medication or not. If I did, it wasn't for very long. Was it just kind of like an antidepressant? Yeah. So I don't even remember which one it was, but some kind of antidepressant probably. It was the main term I remember hearing was in case you have a chemical imbalance, this will help correct it. In other words, like there's nothing to lose, right? Just try it. So it was just my parents' desire to protect me, of course. Do you think, um, I'm thinking of the time, what your your class, I don't want to date you or age you, but you're a few classes ahead of me. 1998. Your class in 98? I graduated in 1998. Yes. During this time, um, I, th- I was in eighth grade in 98. I don't think like suicide was a thing that was rampant. Whenever mm. somebody did it, it was like a huge, 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 huge deal because it didn't yes. happen very often. Um, right. If you would have been living in this day and age, I think a bunch of different things would be possible because suicide's mm-hmm. kind of an option now. Um, yes. I hate that. It, which is 
terrifying, right? That, um, yes. And so, and I was just talking to somebody the other day and they were like telling me about driving down the road and a thought came into their mind that if they just drove into traffic, you know, what, what would happen if I just drove into traffic? And it took them like listening to the podcast to realize that that thought wasn't coming from them. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I've had that thought when I'm driving on a bridge. Like if I take a hard ride off this bridge, man, that's going to be crazy, (laughs) but I'm not suicidal, but the thought just came in there. And like this understanding of mental health, um, maybe that's the thing that freaked your parents out is like, this isn't a thing that we're dealing with in our culture right now, especially in this Adventist bubble where we live. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and they love you. Of course they'd want to do anything Mm -hmm. and everything they can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, we've had some good conversations about this in my adult years and, you know, found reconciliation on it. But at the time, you know, it, it was huge for both of us. I, I would say I can't imagine the fear that they had, but I am a parent now. So I actually do understand. And I, I'm so thankful that they did everything that they felt they needed to, to try to protect me. Hmm. But so there was that, you know, it's just building on to how I'm feeling about myself. Um, I will say that probably by my senior year, some of that weight just kind of lifted on its own. I don't know if it's just, you know, the hormones starting to balance out hmm. or um, a bit of maturity or, or what it was, or maybe I saw you know, light at the end of the tunnel because high school's almost over. But it did get a little bit better, a little bit of self-confidence, I think, started coming in. Um, but basically, by the time I graduated, I was, I was done with Nebraska. And I was ready to just be somewhere else. And I think really what I wanted was to be someone else. You know, it, I said I was escaping the Midwest, but probably trying to escape myself. Shout out to Nebraska. Yeah. It's the good life, what they say. It I is. Guess. It is. Really, there's there's much good there. But um, so I went down to Southern Adventist University good old in Southern. College Steel, Tennessee. And I spent two years there. And magically, I actually got a boyfriend my freshman year. Imagine that. Um so That's you where they're imagine. at, by the way. They're at Southern. <laughs> they're at Southwestern. They're at Oakwood. There's some yeah. at Union. So some, you're looking. Yeah. That's where they're at. So you can only imagine, you know, this world that I've been living in and these dreams and visions that I've had. And so finally, there's like a mutual connection. Somebody likes me. I like them. This has never happened before. This must be what it was all about all along. Right. And so I just easily fell into the overeager, overexcited, you know, whole first love phenomenon. And um, I mean, he was a great guy. Like, no, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but so much respect and appreciation for who he is. He was not a jerk. He, the relationship was very innocent. And I'm very thankful for that. But, um, wasn't very far into it, only a few months in, just enough that I was like fully on the falling in love track. Mm. And he just kind of decided, 
no, changing my mind, don't want to do this. <laughs> and, um, you know, for very logical reasons, what well, we're freshmen in college, we're not going to get married yet. He's clearly not like head over heels for me. Like maybe he likes me, but he's not that into me. And so that's the best that I could understand that it just, it wasn't, he liked me, but he didn't like me enough and it just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So how can you argue with that? You can't, you know, it's, it's solid, it's logical, it's fair. And I'm not going to try to like beg somebody to stay with me that doesn't want to be with me. That's not what I want. I want to be having someone come after me. So, of course, you know, I'm going to let it go. But easier said than done, right? So it basically threw me into just the rest of that year and my entire sophomore year. It's just heartbreak and, you know, a, a sense of brokenness and just couldn't you know this this whole angst of how can you develop a close connection with a person and then walk through the rest of your life not being close to that person anymore like it just i couldn't wrap my head around how that is meant to work and i never went through these breakups and things in high school to sort of get myself used to that concept i guess so the interesting thing is the more broken and weak and sad I felt, the more close I started feeling to God because I was just desperate. You know, I would, I would write these long things and poetry and all of this. And I'd be crying out to him, like, heal me, like heal my heart. I want to be over this. I want to move on. I don't want to be stuck in this forever. Just you have to fix me because no one else can. Hmm. And I but at that point, God and religion to me was still, he was up there. I was down here. There was lots of separation in between. And any healing was just a hope for the future. It wasn't really anything that I, that I felt happened for real on the inside. Um. But yeah, I, so for me, brokenness is what helped me reach out and pursue God more. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just saw this meme, and it's like this picture of Jesus, and he's like, praying again, so your money's gone, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. uh, when, uh, when, those, when the money's gone or something happens, we're like, yeah, we got to lean on something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it was almost sort of back to the childhood thing where you're just, it's help me, help me, help me that mm. I'm going to reach out because I don't feel like enough. I don't, I'm not who I want to be. And, and God does help. I'm not, you know, I'm kind of yes. in of that. He is there for it all. <laughs> He's there when it's great. He's there when it's bad. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to say he will not answer that prayer. Rest assured he will. Correct. So, Anyway, moving on, I um, I had decided year after my sophomore year to go do be a student missionary, and a friend and I found a place in Poland. So we went and taught at a language school, 
Um, we were teaching English to everywhere from like first graders all the way through adults. And I also have to back up for a second. So this, we had made our intention. We were going to pull on that was the end of sophomore year. And then the summer before I left for Poland, I was back in Nebraska because that's still home. And I meet this guy named Alan and he's working on campus through the summer because he's, um, well, he's a student there. And I was basically fall head over heels in love very quickly and this is a complete shock to me because I thought that, you know, I was still all broken inside and, you know, there had been other guys actually that were interested in me at Southern in the, the last year. And I just couldn't even see it. I couldn't hear it. I wasn't open to anything. And all of a sudden I, I meet this one and everything just opens up again. And we um, just developed a really close connection really fast. And it was beautiful. It became like, okay, this is the love story that my life has been waiting for. This is the great love of my life. And this is the healing from God, you know, that, that I've always been looking for. And he's healed me by giving me this person to complete me, to, to make it all, you know, whole and better. And it, um, yeah, anyway, I'll I'll just Is his last to... name Pobletti? It's Pobletti. Just a just And, a, and that's yeah. my last name too. So. Oh. <laughs> just where's where's Alan from? That. Where's Alan from? He um he grew up as a missionary kid in Africa, so he was born in Kenya. But oh, wow. he's from the Philippines, so he spent some time there too. Spent some time in Thailand. All right. So of so, course we meet. Let's in not Nebraska, spoil it. I don't. I don't right? want to hear. That's... <laughs> keep keep going because I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for myself. Okay. So it's this whirlwind thing over the summer, and all along we know that I'm going to Poland, and that's never going to change because I got to stay on track, right? I have to keep the course. Nothing I'm playing around. Nothing's going to mess that up. So so we do the long distance thing for the whole time that I'm in Poland. And, you know, of course it was hard, but it, I think, was really good in many ways because it was lots of letter writing. And um, I don't know if it's back then, it was that was 2000. You don't, there wasn't texting and even much phone calls and not even a lot of email internationally. So letters, like 10 page letters front and back. And so we were just getting to know each other in that so way. Sweet. It was really kind of beautiful. Yeah. And so, so, so was your student missionary experience a good one? Would you say, like, would you recommend it? Like if your daughter was like, I'm going to Poland to teach English from yeah. grades to one to 35, would you be like, cool. <laughs> what would you think about that? Oh yes. It was, it was awesome. You know, one of the best and most memorable years of my life because every single thing that happened is like seared in my brain. Cause it was all new and exciting and terrifying and it was really a good, um, I don't feel like I made a difference in the way I wanted to. I didn't see a single person's heart change for God or get baptized or any of those things that you think that you're hoping for and going. But it was good growth for me 
and learning to do something scared and basically doing something that you feel absolutely not capable of and knowing that you're completely having to depend on God to be the one doing it for you. I I had a great experience with it. And I don't know that it like deeply changed anything about my identity or my relationship with God. I did have to preach some sermons and really like push myself in some interesting ways. But anyway, so I'm just the whole year I'm feeling very like healed and whole because I have this beautiful relationship back at home waiting for me. And um, so I did what for me was a huge going off course plan. And instead of going back to Southern, as I was planning, guess what? I went back to Union College because that's where he was. A place you would never go. Oh, yeah. Never and, say never. Yeah. And to make it even weirder, my parents chose that year to move from Union College to Southern. And, it, oh, you know, I honestly off. was not trying to escape them. It's just it's just how it worked out. So anyway, um, I'll try to move forward because there's a lot more stuff to share here. <laughs> but graduated Union in 2003. Um, we got married in 2004. And it was just a really good time. Like first couple of years of marriage for me, I think for both of us were really solid and enjoyable. And we were part of a church plant in the community. So instead of going to the main big College View Church, um, we had joined up with New Creation Church, um, part of the Praise Band, teaching in the Sabbath school, Bible studies, all of these things. Um, Shout out to New Creation. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was just feeling very, like, on fire, very convicted. It was all good. Um, Moved to Florida. And I, so I graduated college with an English degree. Thought I was going to be a writer of some sort. Did, like, marketing on Union's campus for a few years. And just felt like I needed to do something different. So what you else is with Scott Cushman? Right? I did work with Scott Cushman. And uh, my yeah. man... Actually, Scott took over my position. I don't know that I didn't work with him. I went to school with him, but he took over my position when I left at Union. That's cool. Worked in that little yeah. tiny uh, library building. If you're not familiar with yes. uh, Union College, uh, don't worry. That's just some former sling of the anchors talking about union, but okay. So you moved to Florida. What happens? Okay. So nursing school, um, for the first couple of years, we are very deeply involved in a Bible study group. We call ourselves two forty two from acts two forty two. you know, being the, the church together. Um, a lot of really great connections that came out of that. But we then felt very convicted and moved into a house church movement. Um, and it was still within the Seventh Adventist Church. It was sanctioned and blessed by them and all of that. Um, <laughs> but it was it was all about like let's 
you know, let's build things from the ground up. Let's get rid of all the overhead and, and all of that. And just like be in each other's homes and each other's lives and, and built that way. And that really spoke to us. And at that time, we, we really felt like, yeah, I don't think the church building and structure is where we should be focusing all our energy. Like we should just really be in these small group connections. So we moved into that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm scholarly, intellectual enough that I'm very much like needing to understand everything that I'm part of. So I'm studying prophecy, making sure I understand everything spelled out correctly, going through Bible study courses, preparing to teach these Bible studies to others. And that's where without trying to, without wanting to, I came across some things in scripture that suddenly just didn't seem to, there seemed to be a conflict with the, many of the specific um, doctrines and understandings that I had, that I had been taught. I didn't want to see it. It's just something that um, I was reading in Hebrews one day and in Hebrews 9. And mm-hmm. something about the access that we have to God, to the most holy place, to Jesus. And I was like, yes, it's very clear. We have this direct access. And in my mind and my understanding, it conflicted with many of the doctrines and the things that I had understood growing up. I don't need to get too deep into that because not here to preach doctrine, but just for me at the time, this was like this thread that once it came unraveled, everything just came unraveled. And it was this sense of a sense of betrayal, not from any person or individual, because I believe that everyone that was teaching me was teaching me with the truest heart's intent, but a sense of betrayal of if everything I've believed all my life growing up is not true, then what is true? How in the world do I know what's true? That there are different ways to interpret these same scriptures that never even really occurred to me. I'd never even looked at it before. And so I got into, and Alan was kind of with me on this too. So we were both studying a lot of focus on new covenant, what that really means. And the end result is that we discovered that our salvation and our rest is fully in Jesus. Hmm. Actually, nothing else. It is not in the way that we follow any specific doctrine. It's not even in our perfectly correct interpretation of everything. And it's not in the day that we go to church. It is in Jesus alone. That is our salvation. And so for us... So you knew a theology instead of a person. Like, theology is the way that we talk about and understand what is true about God and Scripture, right? But we end up worshiping a theology and worshiping the way we think and the way we read something rather than, like— while Jesus didn't come to set up a theology or doctrines, 
there is doc like that i'm to be sure there is doctrines but he is a person we -hmm. are a follower of jesus and so it seems like as some of these doctrines are like you pull a thread a little bit and then it all starts to come apart like the baby is getting thrown out with the bathwater like all of it is like whoa is that what you're saying Mm -hmm. well all of it was up for question at that point yes Mm. like i wasn't just throwing everything out i was actually meticulously going through everything with a fine tooth comb and trying desperately to make sense of everything because i needed to know i needed truth but because that one thread had come unraveled i couldn't just sit and rest and it was like a veil that had been lifted and once i had seen it i couldn't unsee it and i didn't feel and the veil was it's jesus Yes. The veil was that our salvation is in Jesus alone. So everything in the Old Testament, including the beautiful picture of Sabbath and all of that was actually a shadow pointing to the fact that our true and total and final rest is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this was truly seemed like a new concept for me at that point. And it became a matter of faith for me that I needed to know. I felt like in one hand, I was holding all of these rules and theological constructs that had been my foundation. And in the other hand was Jesus. And I felt like I had to make a choice between Mm. the two. And the only way that I could know that I was fully putting everything in Jesus alone was to walk away from all the confusion Mm. that was the rules that I had felt I had to follow. So it's just, it's just the way I processed it where I was at. And so I didn't walk away from the church out of hurt or, you know, the hypocrisy that I saw or anger or rebellion or any of that. I walked away to try to walk towards Jesus because that's just where I was at. What I felt was needed in that moment, the way that I was understanding it. But absolutely, my my assurance of salvation, my understanding of God was fully formed on a theology and not a person. And so it became a really, you know, it was was heartbreaking for me. It was not something I ever wanted because I was all in and, and fully believed everything until all of a sudden I didn't. And I just didn't know what to do with that. So, um, you know, I had, we had to tell our families and and everything, and it's a big deal, you know, to walk away from a specific belief structure or denomination that you've grown up in. And, you know, in some senses, there's even a fear of if you're walking away from that, are you going to be saved? Like, at my core, that's what I figured all of my family was afraid of for me. And I didn't know how to resolve that for them. All I knew was I'm in Jesus and I know I'm okay. And I can't explain the rest. Hmm. So, but even though I knew that, it was still very much an intellectual understanding of what Jesus was and what he represented. It still didn't do anything to really change my identity and myself and who I felt I was. Hmm. I still didn't feel um, 
Wow. I, I didn't, um, I just, I'll just leave it there for now. I didn't feel transformed inside of me, but it was an intellectual understanding that was leading me in at least the right direction. Did this change of, who God was in your mind? No, not really. It just made Jesus more important. It made him more all in all, just everything. Mm-hmm. And because that's really all I had left, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to make of, of doctrines and theology. But because of the way my brain processes things, I then did fall into this very confusing period of trying so hard to build a new theology. Even though I knew I didn't need to, I still, I wanted to know, I needed to know. And so I was open to everything. I was reading all different authors and different ways of interpreting scriptures and doctrines. And I was studying, you know, I had the strongest concordance and I was studying Greek and Hebrew and making charts and graphs and just going deep into every possible, um, you know, looking at prophecy, looking at what happens after you die, looking at the nature of man, looking at all of these things wanting to have some final conclusions and stand on and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I believe so that I could then go find a group of people that I believe the same as and have that community. Cause I know I needed connections with people. Um, and it was very discouraging because I felt like I could never find, you know, we were church shopping, mostly non-denominational churches, but we were trying to find a place to be and stay connected and have fellowship. But nothing ever really felt like this is home. This is where we belong. And I knew that wherever I was, I was always mixed with maybe I'd believe the same as this group in some areas, but then not others. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just a very kind of lonely and confusing period. Mm -hmm. Um, So around this phase... We moved again, moved to California. So I've had two kids by now. I kind of skipped over that, but you know, Beautiful so all babies. this, all this, yes, all this drama of um, losing my religion, if I want to put it that way, and you know, all of that. That's all the internal stuff again. But on the outside, I've got a good nursing career, raising two children. Um, you know, our our marriage is happy. Like on the outside, everything is pretty calm, pretty, pretty good. Um, but, you know, a lot of questions of now, how am I going to raise my children and what's that going to look like? And I don't want to, I don't want to not give them anything, but I also don't want to, uh, to dump something in their brain that, that may or may not be true. Cause I don't even know everything anymore at this point. And before I thought I, I knew it all. I thought I had it all figured out. So just a lot of confusion around that. Um, tried a little more church shopping in California, but that quickly fizzled out. Like we just, obviously a lot of it is our own perception. If we're not putting ourselves out there, we're not trying to make connections. But coming from the beautiful little bubble that I grew up in, and the way that community works and 
all of that, it was just very hard to feel that same depth of connection anywhere else that we went. So it kind of got discouraged with both the sense of trying to find a church family and trying to find truth and trying to, to solve all the theologies and all the doctrines and all the prophecies. And I was reading very wide interpretations of things. Um, you know, all the different ways of looking at prophecy is it interpreted through the eyes of a millennialism or through historic interpretation or, you know, I, I just, I was trying to not have any preconceived ideas and let myself be open to anything so that whatever was true would become clear. Um, and mostly it just ended in lots of confusion and frustration and the question of everybody seems to be logical and reasonable in their arguments there, you know, there's some things I can throw out, but there's, there's a lot of logic in all of it and just, just different ways of looking at it. So how will I ever know? How will I ever know what's really real and what's really true? Um, and I was reading things also like, um, Michael Heiser and, Love him. you know, supernatural. Unseen he just realm. passed away. I heard he just passed. I, I know. know. I'm very sad to see that. But so like, that kind of stuff was very impactful for me because it helped me see a deeper picture of what's really going on. And that's the kind of stuff I really thrived on. Like I'm not nearly as intelligent as he is. And a lot of it's over my head, but, um, but I was connecting in some ways too. And, and like maybe the things that happen in the garden, like actually are deeper than just the, the simple story that we hear of it in Genesis. Hmm. And so between the things that I was reading, just the general discouragement that I was feeling, and um, then I started watching, like, all these supernatural-type shows, you know, the Netflix binging and, you know, like, some really dark kind of, a lot of vampire stuff, you know, that I just was really drawn to. And so between all of that, I found myself in a place of really starting to just question is any of it even really real? Hmm. Like all of this, I mean, Jonah, Jonah and the whale, just start there. Like all of these things that I've just taken for granted all my life. And I've been on this quest for truth and I'm sort of coming up dry and maybe they're just myth after all. Right. Hmm. Or, or on some level, like it's, is it allegory? Is it, just one culture's way of trying to point to the picture of God, but Here's your English teacher mind coming out. Definitive. <laughs> yeah, I too much analysis, too much analysis, always, always. But you know, it's tricky because once those questions start coming in, it's really hard to to just go back to the simple childlike belief of before. Yo, I need to take a little a little break, quick break right now to tell you about how you can support the Death to Life podcast. And one of those ways is by donating. This episode of Death to Life was brought to you by listeners. It's listener funded. So if you want to text donate to the number 808-204-4372, 
That's 808-204-4372. We can continue producing Death to Life episodes. And I'm telling you, the, the listenership of this podcast is growing and growing and growing thanks to you guys. People are hearing these stories, telling people, and the message of freedom from sin is getting out there. And so thank you to you. If you want to continue to partner with us, 808-204-4372. Text us, donate, and we can, we can just keep doing this thing. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the podcast. And so I'm basically what I would say as just in a complete wilderness period at this point. And this is like around 2016, 17. Um, no, no form of spiritual fellowship community because we gave up on it. We couldn't figure it out. I'm no longer reading the Bible or reading anything really spiritual unless it's these really intellectual type complicated things um, because it's just too frustrating and discouraging and I don't know what to believe. And I had to stop praying because it just didn't feel authentic anymore because I felt like if I can't fully define and figure out who God is and I can't understand everything about how he works then how am i going to pray to this person that i don't even understand what it is and so it felt like it would just be inauthentic and i didn't want to just be saying words and not really understanding where they were going or why i was saying them so it's not that i, I never what about stopped Jesus? believing that god existed yeah so i actually and it's it's hard i it's i don't even know how i got to this point but i got to a point where i didn't even want to hear praise music or you know if it was on the radio it just kind of like made my skin crawl a little bit mm. everyone just singing and praising you and it's like do you guys even do you even realize that it may not be true or Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I, I had this deep pain inside of me that I didn't even realize because I was losing my belief, even mm-hmm. in Jesus, because I just I just didn't know anymore if if the reality was what I had thought it was. And I just wasn't sure that I believed the Bible. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like, is the Bible a collection of stories and myths and allegories pointing to something bigger or is it? actually exactly what it says it is so you know i didn't even want to pray before meals because it just felt like this is just another tradition and this is just something that we're doing because we were taught to do it and i felt like if i said the dear jesus before a meal that i was almost being false in some way because Hmm. i knew it wasn't 100 percent there in my heart so very much the sense of um, disconnection from anything spiritual. And I pretty much, um, you know, I wasn't seeking anymore and very dry, very kind of empty. On the outside, things were still fine. 
you know, I was, um, you know, still doing nursing and raising the kids and, you know, our marriage was peaceful and all of that. But on the inside, I knew that I was, I felt spiritually dead. Hmm. I think I would have, I would have described it that way. Um, not as much as I should have been, probably. I think I felt more sad than afraid. Just, I was focused on, you know, the things of life, the the outside things of life. Um, but I think what happened. How are you making decisions? Like, what was your moral compass? Well, yeah, that's the interesting part. It never really, that never really went away. Like the way that I was raised for the most part, I still want to do the right thing. I still want to love people. I still want to make the world a better place. I still want to heal. I still want to bring light. None of that ever went away. I just, and I think there was an underlying thread of feeling like if what I believed about Jesus being all and being everything was ever true, then he probably is still has me somewhere somehow and is going to take care of it. Like, I think deep down there was a bit of sense of peace in believing that. Hmm. And if you had asked me my beliefs at that time, I still would have probably said, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. That's about it. I got nothing else for you. But there was no connection or sense of having him inside of me or, or anything like that. Um, and I think the, um, the emptiness of that period is probably what started to bring up a lot of the former kind of obsessive tendencies I used to have that had been honestly quiet for quite a long time as I was just busy and happy in marriage and raising kids and all of that. But I started to feel myself pulled into that again. Um, and just kind of living inside my own head in those same ways and just kind of retreating back into that world. And when I noticed that happening inside of myself, I, you know, the stakes are higher now because I'm Mm. not a child anymore. I'm not a teenager anymore. There's, there's a whole family here that I've got that I love desperately. And so what in the world is wrong with me? Why do I have this thing going on inside of me still? And I couldn't make sense of it. And I couldn't figure out what's the core of it. Cause I thought it was find true loves, get married. That should solve it. Right. And it, I'm so angry at myself that it seemed that I had no logical excuse for having this struggle anymore. Um, you know, husband always there, supportive, you know, beautiful relationship. And yet there's something in me that's still looking for something more, some kind of a, a intimacy that I feel like I is not being met. What is that? What's wrong with me? So to kind of paint a picture of of where I was at with myself. I've got another dream that came up around that period. And I am 
I'm in this village and there's apparently a problem of some kind of beast or monster that's been terrorizing um, a community and people are being killed. It's, you know, great tragedy. So I'm on this team of people and it's our job to solve this mystery, figure it out and um, go hunt the beast. So we're going through this dark kind of eerie looking tunnel and all of a sudden, I get this really strong impression of deja vu. Like, I've been here before. I've lived through this before. And I know who the monster is. And I know how to defeat it. So I tell everybody else, you, you know, leave me. Go off. I'm going to take care of this on my own. So they all disappear. I'm here in this tunnel. And I pull out a mirror. And only when I'm holding up this mirror does the monster appear. And of course, it's my face, but it's a slightly different version of me. It's like ice cold features, white hair, but it's me. And so, and the whole time I'm doing this, I'm feeling like I've lived through it before. Like this is deja vu and I just know how it's going to end. So on one hand, I'm holding the mirror. I'm facing myself my alter ego, my evil twin, whatever it is. And in the other hand, I've literally got a sword out and I'm just going all at it. This very intense physical fight. And I knew that I would defeat her because I felt like I had a memory of it. And I did. In the end, I win the battle, monsters defeated, and the village is saved. And, you know, I woke up from that dream just feeling like, that is actually my reality. This is actually how I feel about myself. That the, the person on the outside is different than the person on the inside. And that I'm, I feel like I'm pretending and that I'm hiding the reality of who I really am. And maybe a bit terrified of who I could be or what I could do if given the right opportunities. And... It's, it's the exhaustion of this, this battle that you feel like you're always fighting internally with yourself. And it's the kind of battle that even if you win, you still end up exhausted because mm. it's just never over. Um, so it's, it was very much you know, a feeling of being trapped and realizing this, this dichotomy that I felt inside of me. Did you feel like you needed to start being yourself and like you hadn't been yourself up to that point? Like, and now well, you're going you know, to actually do what you want to do. There are, you know, you start reading like psychology, self-help books and stuff, and it's dangerous depending on what you read, because there is a lot out there about you got to do you, you got to follow your heart. You got to, if you're feeling drawn in a certain way, you should go that way. You should just speak your truth and that's it. And so, you know, those thoughts sometimes would come into play, but there was always something in me that knew like, that's, that's not really who I am or what I would want. Um, so it was just always this constant conflict of, of realizing there's something, there's something going on in there. And I just didn't understand what it was. So I was, I was 
starting to feel this need that I need to be free from myself. Like I wasn't labeling it as freedom from sin. I just felt like I needed to be free from myself, but I needed to get out of this trap. I needed some sense of freedom. So because religion had never helped me feel really, truly healed from, you know, from any of my stuff. And it was always a kind of a distance separated thing between me and God. I didn't feel like trying to just go hardcore into Bible study and prayer was even an option for me at that point. Cause it just mm-hmm. didn't feel real, very real or alive or anything. So I chose to go into the more um, Eastern approach. I started studying and reading things that I never would have before. I would have been terrified to even look at, but um, kind of the, the awakening, enlightenment, and movement, power of now, um, Buddhism, Hinduism, Ajayashanti, Eckhart Tolle, all of that kind of stuff. Did you I read Siddhartha? Siddhartha? Did you read that book? No, I didn't. Like, there's so much out there, and it, I could have gone even way deeper. But uh, it... I do believe that for my journey and the process and the way God was working with me, it was the next step that I needed to kind of open my eyes and bring some sense of um, spiritual awakening into my heart again and start opening things up. And it feels weird to say, but this was actually the first time that I even came across the concept that... Not every thought that comes into your head and not every feeling that you feel actually identifies you or defines you, that you actually have the choice to just step back, be aware of it, and that maybe it's coming from somewhere else, or it's just energy created in your head, or it's patterns from your past, or whatever it may be. It was the first time I kind of had this realization that the real me might actually be something deeper inside and that all of this mess going on in my head is something that I can actually distance myself from. Um, and it, so it, it started to give me a sense of, of hope and, and a little bit more um, lightness. Um, I was really drawn to this concept of, you know, that we're all one, that we're all connected in a deep way, this universal source of energy that we've all come from and the concepts of like, we feel like we're separated. We think we're separated. We go through this world living in separate skin, but really we're all like one big organism that comes from God You call it God. You can call it source, call it universal energy and light. You know, I was, my ideas of what God was, was opening up, but it mm-hmm. was becoming much more real to me again. And um, these were just brand new concepts to me. I know they're not new concepts out in the world. Like it's all over the place. And um, But for me, I had never, I'd never felt free to explore any of that. So it just really hit me intensely. Um 
And there was a lot of, there's some value in it. I still maintain because there is, there is a sense of, we have to die to ourselves. We have to let go of the idea of who we think we are, what we call the ego construct in order to have this awakening, have this enlightenment, realize the true value of who we are inside. You have to get mm. yourself out of the way, basically, in order to see that. And so I was really pursuing that sense of awakening, whatever it was, looking for some kind of shift in reality where suddenly, you know, because people will describe these experiences that suddenly they feel like they are the person in front of them or they are their cat that's walking across the living room floor. Like they literally feel like they've become one with everything. And I kind of wanted that, like, because my whole thing all my life has been that I feel like I, I don't have enough connection or a deep enough intimacy. Well, if I could just be one with everything, that would just be great. That would solve it all. And so I was sort of really pursuing that kind of connection you know, and there's all these terms like duality versus non-duality. Um, and the place where that gets tricky is in the idea of non-duality, meaning everything is all one. Everything is all connected. There's really no separation. It's beautiful in many ways, but it also removes good and evil. The concept of there being an enemy and the concept of sin. It just kind of has to take it all out of the equation. And all the bad or hurtful things we do is just simplified into being the result of our confusion. Because we think that we're the, these ego structures we've created when really we're this great eternal essence inside. I don't know if I'm making any sense. But just trying to explain where my head was at and what sure. I was going through. Um, and so I, I, it was around this period when I was kind of just fascinated and like being just constantly listening to things and reading things and dabbling in, you know, meditation a little bit or guided imagery and all of that. I, began to sort of see this picture of God as not a, not a person, not an individual, but just this fire, just this all-consuming fire, which, you know, there is biblical imagery in there. And mm -hmm. so kind of made sense to me. And not like a hellfire that's, um, that's hot and painful, but just like this very peaceful pool of fire that I could just sink into and that that actually is what God is. And it's the, the original source of all life. And it's actually what I have inside of me and what everybody has inside of them. And we're all connected through this one thing. And it was sort of this place I could just kind of sink into and all these, you know, ideas were forming in my mind of like, all the pain in the world, all of the suffering, all of the confusion, this fire just consumes it. That's what it lives to do. It's just constantly feeding on all of the pain and all of the hurt and transforming it into love. And then 
we get the privilege of just letting that love pour out of us into everybody else because it's literally what we are inside at our deepest core. So it's some really beautiful pictures. Um, and so around this period, like I, I was also reading things like um, about empath healing and energy healing, because I really wanted to just be this conduit to heal the world. Like that became my one desire. And so this is like January of 2022 when I really started diving into all of this and feeling some hope, feeling some freedom, never really got that sense of, you know, a mystical awakening, a moment where I felt like I had become enlightened or was, was seeing reality in a different way. But even just understanding the concepts and realizing that maybe reality is different than what I think provided me, you know, a, a lot of like hope and, um, and beauty in life. And so January, I'm out for a walk. I'm listening to one of these books and something in it struck me in a way that I just feel like I had this absolute download from God of how completely loved and seen and beautiful and perfect and whole and complete that I am in a way I had never felt before. And it, it was, it's hard to explain, you know, it's hard to put these things into words, but it was like simply because I exist, because he created me, I am actually the most captivating thing in the world to him because he's literally choosing to manifest his amazing love, which is this just crazy fireball thing. And he's choosing to manifest it through me exactly the way he's created me, exactly as I am at this moment. And it was just this overwhelming sense of all my life, I've been wanting to be seen and pursued and all of this. And actually the source that created me already sees me that way. And I just had never felt that before in that degree. And so in that understanding, I finally realized I am not separate from my creator. God is actually here inside of me. He's part of me. I don't need to seek any other form of intimacy anywhere else because I already have complete intimacy and union with the very source of my soul. And that's what I've been looking for all along. That's what I've been craving all along. That is the healing of the deepest need inside of me. And once I have that, once I'm complete in that way, it actually gave me a sense of freedom and wholeness that just shut up and quieted all of this obsessive thinking and, and stuff that's always gone on inside my head. So um, this is 
I think we're just in February now. <laughs> a lot going on in a short amount of time. In February, I, I'm kind of living in this, you know, beautiful reality of understanding how loved I am and that I'm not separate from my source, but I was still craving to, to fiction even more. It's like, I, I want to know who, I want to know what the source is. I want to just fall into it and dissolve into it and feel completely merged and melded with it, whatever it is, whatever that looks like. So as I'm lying in bed one night, I just kind of pray this prayer. I don't see it as prayer. It's more just like putting an inquiry out into the universe. And I just said, while I'm sleeping tonight, I'm okay with disappearing. And I, I want to completely become one with you, whatever you are, whatever that looks like, whatever the result is, I'm okay with it. And it was not in any way a, um, a desire to, you know, for physical death. And, and I didn't expect that that's what was going to happen either. But it was a, like an existential kind of death that I was giving myself up to. And as soon as I kind of put that inquiry out there, I got gripped with just this very intense grief and fear that I actually wouldn't be aware of waking up in the morning, that, that it was actually that I was going to become one with this thing, whatever it was, in such a deep way that whatever woke up in my place, I may not be aware of it. But I, and it was almost like, I, I don't want to say my life flashed before my eyes, but, you know, I was thinking of my parents and my childhood and all these different things and all of the people that have loved me through my life. And I was just weeping, thinking, you know, am I really willing to let all that go? Am I really willing to let Laura go? And it, it was interesting because I never even got to a point of feeling like that I had resolved it, that I had made sense of it somehow or that I had even come to full peace with it, even in the midst of like the fear and the grief, I just let go. And I just said, let it be whatever it's going to be. I'm ready to, to die to myself, whatever that looks like. And as soon as I did that, everything was okay. It, I, I literally saw myself falling through this blackness into a deep black hole of whatever it was. And I had been asking myself this question, if God were inside a black hole, would I fall in to be with him? So it's hard to explain why I needed to go there or why I thought that God would be there. It wasn't even so much about that. It was more... I felt the need to empty myself of any expectation or reward. I didn't want to be pursuing God, whatever God looked like, for some kind of prize at the end. I just wanted him, the true, real thing, whatever the reality of him was. So even if that meant never being aware of my personal existence as Laura again, 
I was willing for that because I just wanted that intimacy as deeply as it could be. Hmm. And if dissolving unto him meant not being me anymore, I was willing for that to happen. So, uh, you know, in my mind, I was equating it in some ways with what, what I knew from my upbringing of being reborn, you know, death to self and being crucified with Christ. But I was more seeing it as those were just pictures and images of this deeper, more existential thing that we all need to go through if we want to connect with God. Um, so I woke up the next morning and, of course, I still felt like Laura. And I was kind of confused, almost kind of disappointed by that. Like, did nothing happen? But throughout the day and throughout the, the coming days, I really did get this deep sense of, I did the letting go. I let something die. And something new was coming to life inside of me, slowly unfolding. I didn't really know what it was, but it felt like there was something new that was coming to life. And I just felt so greatly privileged and gifted that, my source, my creator still saw me as Laura with all my memories and all my mannerisms and who I am as still fit to be who he was moving through and who he was working through in my role in life. Like it just felt like a gift at that point that, hmm. so I, I gave myself to whatever it was going to be and he gave me back. Like he still wants me to be me. So, um, it's so hard to explain these things. I hope it's making some amount of sense. So this is where I'm at. And it's in many ways, a very beautiful place. And I'm feeling peace and I'm feeling wholeness and I'm feeling freedom. But there is one nagging sadness and question and sense of hollowness. And that is... What do I do with Jesus? I know the Bible verses that say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. I know those verses. And I can either choose to try to find some interpretation that fits my new picture of reality and God, or I can just disregard it. And I was in a place, I had never found the freedom and wholeness that I felt through religion. And I had it now. And I was terrified to lose it. So I could not let myself go back. In my mind, I was seeing a conflict between believing the concept of needing a savior and the whole picture of that and what it says about me and my unworthiness and who I really am at my core. And this new picture I had of my identity and who I was and, and this beautiful, you know, new creation that I felt that I was. And I felt that there was a conflict. I couldn't see how to resolve the conflict. And I was scared of losing what I had. So in my mind... 
And I just honestly still didn't know if it was true or real, any of the, the stories. So I was at a place where I would have to say I was making peace with the darkness and in some ways actually longing for it. And not darkness in the sense of evil, because I really have wanted to just spread love into the world, but darkness in the sense of non-existence. Um, very much what the way I grew up would call being lost. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful that I was never raised with the belief that we burn in hell and we're tormented forever. I know many people do have that belief. I studied it. I tried to believe it. I was open to it. Like I looked at every angle to try to make sense and see if that is reality and that's the way it is. And that was one area that I could never see in the Bible. It just, it just never, it never looked like that was the reality that was being painted. And so because of that, I think I was at peace with whatever was going to happen. And even if I was getting it wrong, even if I was missing something, I was okay with ceasing to exist forever. You know, worst case scenario, right? And it's that in some twisted, weird way was actually me reuniting with my source on a, you know, most intimate level. Then I actually wanted that. So that's where I was. I would say I was in a pretty dark place and didn't even realize it. And I just knew um, that I didn't know what to do with Jesus. That was really the only slight question going on in my head. Um. Do you want to interject? Do you have any questions? I'm just holding point? on for dear life. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. This I'm is going uh, on and on. Yeah, you've heard Chico's episode. Yes, where he starts talking about doing ayahuasca. Yeah, and I didn't know his whole story, so I'm listening, and I think I've said this on other podcasts, where I'm like, man, I hope he gets out of this because uh, we're at a dark <laughs> spot right now, and I hope that it doesn't turn out that. I don't understand, and ayahuasca is the answer. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm like, I'm just holding on. How's it going to get better? Yeah, no, it's interesting you bring up Chico, because I both, I listened to his podcast with you and watched his video with uh, Justin, Justin uh -huh. on on YouTube. <laughs> so the first part of his story, I was just really resonating with it and like no i haven't tried any plant medicine but i was intrigued by the concept like yes something that can help shift reality and help fly us to peru feel the universal love like i was on board and i i was just really feeling what he was saying about the way he was perceiving jesus being just kind of this general all love of everything made sense to me and then his follow-up podcast where he came back around and was like, oh, Jesus is a person and he is my savior. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. um, well, don't, don't jump ahead too much because I want to hear uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. how this all starts to make sense. Okay. So yeah, I don't have anything interject to interject, but I'm just like <laughs> edge of my seat here. 
Okay. So um, somewhere in this period and slightly before, I, I have a friend from high school that I'm Facebook friends with. And every now and then I'm seeing him post something about Jesus and how free we are and how assured of our salvation that we can be. And it, it intrigues me because I know that he came from the same beliefs and background and everything that I have. And that's just not really the way we talk that often about, no. you know, the, the rest and the peace and the assurance. So I'm, you know, I'm just curious enough, like, I wonder where he's getting that from. But I'm not engaging in the post or anything. You know, it's just there. I've just seen it. I wonder I'm who's looking at our stuff. You never know. You never know. Yeah. So um, now it's July of 2022. And a post pops up. And this is Chris Wetmore. Kristen and Malcolm. he's posting his story. His story of freedom. And so, because I've already seen, like, I can tell something's going on with him. It sounds really good. And, like, even though I may not be vibing with all the Jesus stuff, like, I'm all about freedom and wholeness and anyone spreading that out into the world, right? That's great. So, I'm, and I went to high school with him. We graduated together. Of course, I'm going to listen to his story. You know, I'm, I'm interested. So, um, that was basically the the pivotal thing that changed the rest of the course of that year for me. Instead of going further into some kind of black hole, um, I, I listened to the podcast. And initially, you know, I can't say like all of a sudden, you know, I had this great understanding of the gospel and everything came clear. Mostly, I just was moved by his story and his experience because... Had you known anything about what he I went know through? him. Very little, um, but I had heard that there had been a period of addiction and that, for what I knew, he had gotten free from it. So, that's about it. Um, but I, I didn't really know any of the other details. We hadn't really been in touch at all. So I, I reached out to him right away and was like, just thank you for sharing your story. From my perspective, I was just doing my part and sending love out into the world and trying to encourage him. Like that was, that was amazing. And of course his immediate response is, have you listened to any of the other podcasts? And so I, I hadn't even really considered it, but I, became intrigued enough that I decided, yeah, let's, let's see what's going on here. Cause there, you know, a lot of people from union, that's my background. That's interesting that this, all this freedom and peace and wholeness seems to be coming out of a place that I thought I had to walk away from. There's some irony in that. I'm intrigued. So I started at the beginning. I started with Tyler and I was really struck by the sense of um, what he described as a sense of wholeness that he felt inside that allowed him 
to love his wife, regardless of what he was getting back from her. You know, just being so filled with wholeness and completeness and love and freedom that he was free to love without need of anything else. And it resonated with me because I felt like I had found this sense of wholeness and freedom too. It was like, I've never heard anyone else describe it in that way. And so it wasn't confusion. It didn't sound like heresy. It was just like full, complete, easy agreement with, with this concept of, you know, identity and that we are actually something beautiful inside. And, and I, so I, I started listening to all the podcasts and of course, everyone brings out some different aspect of this. And I was so quickly fascinated and intrigued and it was just always complete agreement with yes like I think that's where I'm at too that's what I'm feeling too and yet I came to this sense of fullness from this weird route and they're coming to it through the gospel that's interesting I've never heard anyone see the gospel in a way that resulted in feeling like this. And so, um, you know, for a while, there was still quite a bit of, I guess, disconnect that I felt like, well, you can get to this from different routes, but, you know, we, we ended up in the same place was kind of the way I was perceiving it. Hmm. Um. And there, the, and in this process, there was some healing going on as well. I would have to say that, like, this amazing, beautiful picture of who God is, how loved we are, how much we can rest in Him. This is coming out of the very organization that I felt like I had to walk away from in order to pursue those very things. And you know, the irony of it wasn't lost on me that, you know, just, I think God was, was trying to heal some, some wounds and that sense of betrayal that I didn't even realize I was still holding on to, hmm. um, by, you know, a, a ministry that was coming out of my past. So, um, I keep going, I'm listening to the podcast. I start watching Jonathan Leonardo's Wave 1 series. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that there was a shortened 10-minute version of, of all of these little clips. Like, I just, I didn't see it somehow. I skipped right over it. And I went straight to the 50-minute YouTube sermons. <laughs> and so I think those while, are better. You know? I think those are better. I mean, the vlogs are great, but it's only yeah. like a, a little taste of what he's, you know, what we're trying to preach here. Right. And it, he goes deep and he's very intellectual and that kind of fits with the way I process things. And so, you know, the things he would say were really resonating with me. And I was going through the interactive Bible study that's on the love reality, um, dot org. Is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was going through all of that and I was still for a long time in this place of absolute agreement, absolute support, absolute joy to find other people that are in this place. But 
does it really have to only be found through Jesus? And, you know, I, so I, I still felt fear that there was a conflict, that if I were to finally say, I need a savior, that I would lose the entire sense of freedom and wholeness that I felt. And I would once again feel unworthy and sinful at my core. And so, I mean, there was just a lot of stuff to, that I needed to be freed from and, and to understand. And so it took a while. It was not like one. This seems like a, a tough thing because you're drawn to the stories. You're Mm -hmm. drawn to the explanation of what the gospel actually is, but Mm -hmm. knowing if you fully embrace it, that you're going to lose a main thing that you've arrived at. Yeah. The fear that I might, and also on the other side of it, just still being stuck in unbelief, just truly like, even if I wanted to believe it, I'm still not sure that it's really, really true. Um, And so I, I remember there was a point in watching all this stuff and listening to all of it that I started to hear myself say, I wish I could believe that. Mm. Like all of this enlightenment and meditation, there's some value in it. There, there are some universal love concepts that, that overlap with um, things that are in the gospel. And there's beauty, but it's also really complicated in order to have this awakening to to get rid of yourself and to have some mysterious thing come alive inside of you. It's For me, it was very complex and it took a lot of focus, a lot of focus to try to get my brain in a place that I could be in this state of freedom. And yet everyone else just believed in Jesus and they had it. I mean, that seems so much simpler. And it, it seems also so much richer to have like a, the love that's being described of what Jesus has for us to be, that is the thing that, that fills you and makes you whole. So I was, I guess there was a wish that was starting to be created in me that like, I, I wish I could believe that. I think it would be simpler and, and feel, um, feel more meaningful if it wasn't just this mysterious, vague, nondescript picture of God, but that it was really Jesus. Um, and not long after I started sort of feeling that sense of, of desire or wish for it, that I have to say, God just gave me belief back. It, mm. He just he gave it to me as a gift. Like, I can't even say that I figured it all out and that, you know, suddenly, theologically, it all made sense or that I resolved every question about interpretation or any of it, that he just, he just gave it back to me. So... This is September now um, of 2022. And you listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of stuff in like a month. (laughs) You're not kidding. Like when you get on it, you're on it. Oh, yeah. 
So there's podcasts, there's sermons, there's audiobooks thrown in there in between. There's always something going on. So like, this is what is consuming me now. I am, I don't even have room in my brain to be worried and caught up in the things I used to be because this is what I'm like constantly living and breathing every day. I'm at the grocery store. I'm hearing someone's death to life story. Like it's just always a part of me. Um, so by September, I hadn't quite gotten through all the podcasts, but I was really close. I was on like the last couple sermon series of, of the free from sin, um, wave one series. And I was stuck in a traffic jam going to work. And I started to formulate this thought in my head about the garden, about Adam and Eve. Um, and I'm not there yet with the belief part. Like I'm wanting to be, obviously I'm, I'm becoming open to it, but it's not making sense to me yet. And I had this picture of what actually happened in the garden with Adam and Eve when they were, when they chose to take that fruit and eat it. It wasn't just sin in the sense that they disobeyed um, or the action that they did. It was actually, or at least this is how I saw it in my mind, that they had the misguided, deceived idea that they needed to pursue God and they wanted to be like God. And they didn't realize that they already were. Mm -hmm. They didn't realize that they have literally been created in the image of God. They were his creation, his children. There was no separation between them and God. And yet they felt like they needed to pursue God in some way to be more like him. So it wasn't even, I mean, I don't know what was in their minds, whether it was rebellion or not, but it may not have been rebellion. It may have actually just been the misguided deception of thinking that they needed to pursue God when actually they already had intimate connection with him. So this created in my mind, it was starting to clarify the concept that yes, sin is a, a reality. It is something I need to be free from, but sin is simply believing that I'm separate from God. Sin is a deception. Sin is a lie. Sin is actually not any real thing at all. It's not the actions we do. Those are just the symptoms of what this deception causes inside of us. For me, believing I was separate from God all my life led to just this insatiable search for some kind of intimacy that I was always looking for in a human form because what else is there? What else? How else are we going to look for that? But it was always a lie. It was always a deception. He created me in his image. I am his. So right as this was like all just sort of dumping into my head, I'm on the last um, sermon series, and there's a story that Jonathan brings out about Solomon and the uh, two mothers. Babies. And the, there's one baby left. 
And I've always just seen it as a story of a wise man. But he described it in a way that um, I'm not going to do it justice, but I'm going to briefly try to explain what it was that I saw in it. So the true mother chooses to, rather than let her baby be split in two and destroyed, she chooses to give the baby to the false mother in order to preserve and protect that baby, knowing that she will hopefully be able to restore that baby to herself someday, but also knowing that that baby will have to grow up under a false parent who may, you know, spread lies about who she is. But that baby always belonged to her. That baby was only going to be living enslaved to a false parent. But the, that baby's true identity always was her child. And that this is how God loves us. He loves us so much that he would rather have his heart as a parent literally ripped out the pain that it would cause to let us be raised under a false father than to have us be destroyed completely. Um, and I, this is a big part of what helped resolve that conflict for me of, I have been deceived. I have been enslaved. I do need to be freed from something, but it's not because I'm unworthy and rotten at my core. It's because my true identity has been captured by something that's not true. Um, so there's no more conflict in that. And yeah. I, I, I was just, I found myself just weeping at this and realizing, oh, I have been sinning all of my life. I do need a savior. Jesus actually is not just something that you add to this picture, but he actually is the entire picture of reality. And this, this picture I had in my head of this, this fire that is God and that is everything that's the universe. And, and where does Jesus fit into that picture? I had this image of that, the fire literally having a huge chunk of it just ripped out and thrown into nothingness and becoming nothing. You know, the Bible says that he became sin. So he literally became this nothingness. And not only became it, but he conquered it. He conquered the emptiness, the nothingness. He swallowed up death. So the only thing separate from God is death, is nothingness, is emptiness. And he let himself be ripped apart to conquer that so that we could be restored to him. And I don't know why I needed to visualize all of this and picture it this way, this deeply in my mind for it to connect. But this is where I was. And, and so suddenly, Jesus, once again, as where I was years ago, he became everything. Wasn't just something that you add to the picture, but he was the whole picture. And he was 
he is the way and the reason that I'm free. And he always was, even if I wasn't recognizing it or putting a name to it. So this mysterious thing that is, you know, feels new inside of me, this, this spirit, this eternal essence, that's Christ in me. My identity actually is Christ. And I just hadn't put the name to it yet, but it almost felt like a bit of a backwards process for me that a lot of these experiences had, had been happening, but I wasn't understanding and, and realizing and recognizing that it was Jesus. Um, and ironically, so that weekend when all of this was just unfolding for me in, in my head, it was the first weekend that I was um, linking. I had just joined the Facebook Love Reality Facebook group. And so I was trying to link up with one of the Bible studies. And I had decided to join the Sunday morning with Justin Koo. And the text that came through that morning was something like, Sin is a lie. Sin is lying to you. It's like, wait a minute. I just figured that out. I just realized that, you know, that it just came to me. So I had been, you know, not sure I wanted to join the Bible study because still kind of self-conscious, not sure, didn't quite feel like I belonged, didn't quite feel like I was there with everybody. But when, when that was the topic, I, you know, I realized, okay, I got to be part of this. So I don't know. From there, it's it's um, it's just continued to unfold more, and I've been growing more and more in this. Um, I I realize that there was a bit of like I didn't know it at the time, of course, but some self righteousness still that needed to be kind of pulled out of me. Because I was kind of seeing it like, oh, I had all this freedom and wholeness. And then I realized that, you know, then I added Jesus to the picture. And so even that, like, there's been a process where, where he's been teaching me and growing me that this is not of me. This is not something I discovered. This has always been from him. Um, I feel like just... I'm whole and complete in him. That's solid, that's sure. But I am definitely growing in my understanding and being, I feel like the spirit is pulling my life more and more into alignment with reality and with him as we go. And so I'll think that everything is, you know, resolved or that, you know, there's nothing left to, to figure out. And then, there's something new that he decides I need to be free from. And so he works with me on it. And it's just been this interesting process of um, just kind of sitting back and letting him do that work and just not resisting it and trusting that whatever needs to be pulled out of me, whatever needs to be clarified, whatever else needs to be healed, he's doing it in his time. And it actually is happening. Um, and I have seen transformation in many aspects of my life, um, you know, relationships that have become deeper, more authentic. I don't feel like I need to hide anymore. I don't feel like anyone needs to be pursuing me anymore. Like, that's, that's done. Christ has done that. And 
he found me and I can now come out of hiding and just join him as he's pursuing other people. Um, what do you know about yourself for sure? That I am, I am whole and complete in Christ, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that I am free from sin, that those things are unchangeable because Christ lives in me. And all I need to do is rest in that reality that I don't need to, I don't need to do anything other than just trust that reality and let it unfold. If you're listening to this story and you're hearing Laura's heart and you're hearing all of this, and you're saying the same thing. I wish that was true about me, or I wish I believed this thing. Then I am telling you that that's exactly where you need to be. Because you can't make it happen. Like, you can't move something from your head to your heart, so to speak. That's not your job. What might be is realizing and owning the fact that you don't believe it, but that you want to believe it. Because it's a gift. You don't work hard to believe. We're not sitting here like, eh, believe, teeth clenched. It's a gift that he gives you, and he reveals it through the Holy Spirit and through his love. So if he asks you to do something, then he also supplies it. If he says, believe in me, he also gives you the faith. All of his biddings are enablings. This is what he does. Um, why? Because he loves you. Because you're his kid. Because before the foundation of the world, you were set aside. Like you were such a good idea in his mind, and now here you are. And so if you're listening to this right now, let's say you're in the grocery store, you're going to pick up your kids or you're, and you want this for yourself. Well, what would you say, Laura? I would say that if that's what you want, God knows your heart and he knows that that's what you want and he is going to give it to you. And there is not about finding the right words when you pray or saying it in the right way. It's about well, I would say for me, um, one of the best ways to sum it up is probably Romans eight thirty eight. That there is just nothing that can ever separate us from God's love. Hmm. Not even the lies that we're believing. He will pull those lies out. He will heal us from those lies. 
he's the one doing the work. He's the one doing the pursuing. Yeah, you didn't find him. He found you. This is Ephesians chapter four, chapter two, verses four, starts at verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He did this while you were still dead, that's where and when he set you in heavenly places with your brother Christ Jesus. It's true for you now. Whatever is in your mind that is stopping you from owning this and believing it as fact, that's the lie from the enemy. Whatever resentment, whatever mistake, whatever you've done, whatever someone has done to you, it was all for the purpose of you not understanding and knowing this thing about you. But we're here to tell you that those are just lies. They're nothing. And that God has loved you with an everlasting love. You're his workmanship. And he has works that only you can do. Laura can't do them. I can't do them. Only you can do them. And Will you just believe, please? This is for you. It is for you. Uh, Laura. I would say. Yeah, say it. I want to say one last thing is that in seeing this about myself, it helps it just come naturally to see it about everybody else around me. And so you whoever's listening to this, you are all of these things too. You are the manifestation of his love. Literally the breath that you breathe is a joy to your creator. Just that, just existing, just breathing. And you can have the joy and the peace and the assurance of eternal life right now. We're not waiting for heaven to be able to have that freedom. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for letting me share. It's only you, it's only me. Waking up to a memory. Your love is all I need. It's only you, it's only me. Waking up to a memory. Your love is all I need. Party, baby.